Welcome to Bitch Talk Booze and Interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. We are here at the Women's March, San Francisco, 2019. Third year strong. Third year strong. It's been raining all week, but yep. today was a beautiful sunny day. Sun came out and not I a feel, coincidence. yeah, I feel like I got sunburnt, <laughs> actually. A little yeah, red. Yeah, a little rosy. Maybe little it's our, we're at the bar right now. Yeah, or maybe it's the bar. Uh, we got to speak to uh, three women, three strong women, which was really exciting. Yeah. This, this year we did it right. We got there early. Instead of scrambling, we got set up. Uh, we made a little rig out of our rig, and uh, we interviewed uh, Mona Shake, Natasha Singh, Natasha Singh, and Rebecca Solnit, who is a local writer, and I've been wanting her on Bitch Talk for a while. And they were all featured speakers. Well, Mona was actually the MC of the whole event, but we got to speak with them before they went on stage, and uh, you guys get to listen to it now. Enjoy. Mona Shake, you are the MC of the uh, Women's March San Francisco. No I pressure. <laughs> so excited. No pressure at all. Yes, how did this come to be? Yeah. I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> As I sit here and I look around, these amazing people that are here who've put this together, and I'm um, looking at you guys, you guys with your amazing uh, bitch talk podcast and uh, um, I actually it was I think it was meant to be I was at Politicon uh, last year uh, you guys know what that is no right? what is it tell our audience Politicon, tell us. Politicon is uh, like uh, Comic Con but only for like politicians and journalists and anyone oh. who's active. So it's can we? Can you get us in there at some point? <laughs> that sounds awesome. I don't even know how I got oh, in there. Okay, <laughs> so you just wind up at things. I just wind up at things in a very strange, <laughs> bizarre way. So I wasn't even supposed to attend. I was so tired. I had been doing shows left and right, and I was just like, ah, oh, I'm gonna go to Politicon. I have somebody making faces at me in the back. This is the woman who got me in. Um, Sophia, so friend of the show. The amazing, the, show, the amazing, Andari. incredible What's Sophia Andari, baby. <laughs> <laughs> this is my fourth time on yes, right now. Fourth time. <laughs> get to work. Get to work. I, I love me some Sophia Andari. So, so, so I was at Politicon, and uh, I was at my friend's uh, booth, who runs this amazing organization called MPV, Muslims for Progressive Values. And uh, in comes Sophia sauntering. <laughs> and I was like, hey, man. Well, I was like, hey, chick, what kind of brown are you? <laughs> I love that question. And she's like, I'm a, Le I'm a, I'm a Lebanese uh, brown. I was like, oh, that's so cool. I was like, oh, you guys always smell good. Lebanese people always <laughs> smell good. It's true. I dated a Lebanese guy. The best guy. smelling brown yeah. people on the planet. Yeah. Lebanese. Right. That's they right. They give a Persians for their money. run yeah. for their money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Anytime. And uh, we just hit it off. We just hit it off. And I was telling her that I was going to be in the Bay Area uh, to speak at a women's leadership forum in Los Gatos. And she was like, come have dinner with me in San Francisco. I'm like, all right. I meet up. We sit down. We start talking. Uh, and I was just like, you guys need more progressive, more moderate Muslim women also showcased in you know women's marches. And she was like, you're absolutely right. And uh, next thing you know, three days later, she calls me and she's like, how would you like to be the MC of our march? Yeah, be careful what you say, okay? <laughs> yeah, be careful what you wish for. because then it's, And then it comes, you're like, oh, shit. Did and I, I was like, wait, that was not, <laughs> wait, what? I just wanted to sling some dick jokes now. 
I can't do none of that. That's so funny because last year's Women's March was amazing, but I thought that was the one thing it was lacking were the dick jokes. Dick jokes. <laughs> dick jokes lighten up the room. Always. If we only had Is more that what you're looking jokes? at right now, or dick jokes? Oh, no. I'm eliminating the dick jokes. <laughs> so okay, I don't get you know, tomatoes thrown at there, me. You know, huh? what, a shark here and there, whatever. You know, just a, just a dick joke. Okay, anyways, I just... Uh, <laughs> just be clearing my throat and uh, just like just uh, slipping in dick jokes there. But but you that's, that's, so, that's what she said. Yeah, so we haven't said yet, but you are also a comedian, an actor living in LA. I am a comedian. Yeah, yeah. And do you feel like uh, well, you were actually the first Pakistani female to headline the Hollywood Improv, which, which is, is amazing, incredible. Yeah. Thank you. Do you do you feel like you have a certain pressure from your community to represent in a certain way, or is it just like I'm a comedian, I do me like? Or your own pressure. Just yeah. what, just what, I think it's probably more my own pressure than it is. You know, I think you realize when you go up there as being a first of anything, you're like, oh, I'm the first of whatever. And then, you know, like people are looking at you. You are, Even if you don't want to represent, you are representing. That is that is the thing that, you know, consciously or subconsciously, that's what you're doing, you know. Uh, I, and I did just preface it by saying that I wanted to sling dick jokes, so I don't know what kind of impression I'm making here <laughs> as a first perfect, of. Per, perfect on bitch talk. For perfect on bitch talk. Yeah, I don't know Not how so it's going to. perfect on stage. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to do for the, the crowd, the but march. we love it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. This is the this is the not so uh, PG rated version <laughs> right here. No, but yeah, I feel like, you know, I think you definitely feel like uh, I think after a while you're just like, all right, th- I am the first of this. I am the first of this. All right. Let's uh, let's try to represent in the best way possible. So I took a shower for you guys today. Awesome. You're welcome. I thought you smelled really fresh. Thank you. That sounded weird. Not as good as Lebanese people. No, exactly. <laughs> or Persians Cir- for that circling matter. Circling back. Yeah. Uh, on Bitch Talk sometimes uh, when we have uh, first guests and we don't know who they are and blah, blah, blah. We ask about their uh, origin story. Do you yeah. want to give our listeners a little bit of a, your like origin when story? My, my, when my parents got together? All Ooh, of it. How back we go, All of girl. it. Whatever you want to share with our with our audience. Oh, my God. My origin story. All right. So we'll, I'll just sum it up. Uh, Basically, how you, how you got all the way here. I got all the way here. Yeah. I definitely drove here. So that okay. was... Uh, yes. <laughs> Thank you. You took a car, not took a plane. A, the, yeah. Lyft. Thank you, Lyft. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, my origin story. So I was uh, born in Pakistan. I moved to New York when I was 15 years old. Uh, the re- shock. Yeah. The reason our family moved to the U.S. is because my family started coming to the U.S. in the 80s. My, uh, I have four older brothers still. My brothers were given expired vaccination for polio, and they got polio because of it. And oh, there was shit. no treatment for them in Pakistan. And uh, then uh, they came to Shriners Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. And that's how our family started coming to the U.S. But one of the greatest things that happened was my brothers, they came before me. And, you know, one of the biggest conversations, you know, it is I come from a conservative background. Pakistan and Pakistan is a conservative Muslim country. And the, there was a big conversation. Are, are my parents going to send the girls? to America, you know, because she's going to be ruined. She's going to become a slut. Don't set her. She's going to start telling dick jokes. She's going to start telling <laughs> dick jokes. And all those dreams came true, by the way. Yeah. All of Here them. you are. Here you are. Slut, dick jokes, all of them across the board. Plow, they proud. must be so proud. So They're so proud. You don't even know. All the halal jokes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, that was, and, uh, you know, I really commend my parents for having the vision and, you know, being so progressive and being so open-minded to be like, we're going to send the girl too. If the boys go to America, then the girl goes 
Coast to America, too. Mm-hmm. They certainly weren't thinking that I was going to become a stand-up comedian. That was not part of the plan. That's a huge disappointment. Because I was supposed yeah. to be a doctor, you see? Like, that's how mm-hmm. brown people do, right? We become yeah. doctors yeah. and engineers. Yeah. You're supposed to be good Accounts. at ma- math. Yeah, and I to be totally, good. that gene is, has skipped me, so. Yeah, I don't. Total I don't, disappointment. I don't even know what that is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what are, what one plus numbers? one is 11? Okay, know. let's do this. <laughs> so how did comedy come into your life, then? Comedy came by accident. Uh, I was a stage actor in New York for a while, and I always wrote, and I had a friend at the time who was just like, hey, have you, you know, have you ever done stand-up? And I was just like, no. I was like, I can't do stand-up. And she was like, oh, yeah, you can. And I was like, really? So she was like, yeah, just try it. See if you like it. If you don't, don't do it. And I tried my hand at stand-up when I, uh, you know, there was this was a while ago uh, and uh, the comedy club I did it was uh, Comics Comedy Club since then the comedy club has went out of business so thanks to my comedy <laughs> uh, I did my first five minutes there and I did really well and I ca- I haven't stopped since so. you killed it and you're killing I, it now I kid, killed it yeah I, I kind of get, uh, get a little nervous when I use the word kill because I'm a brown girl so yeah. it just gets a little you have to be careful yeah you have to be careful ears in the yeah. sky yeah. I can only bomb on stage like stuff like that so I just (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, we're not in a bar right now we can't make those jokes (laughs) morning at the women's march it's too early for bomb jokes (laughs) that's what I'm trying to say so you showed up at Politicon you're emceeing the women's march have you always been civic minded or was it just out of fear from the election a few years ago like like you know I am a child of politics I uh, grew up in a very politically unstable country I grew up under a dictatorship and I saw a uh, what it did to the country, how it destroyed people's lives. I see the psychological impact it has on generations, not just uh, at the time. You know, uh, I was in uh, Pakistan in the 80s, and uh, we were, I grew up under a dictatorship. I saw tanks rolling up around the corner of our streets. I grew up under martial law. Uh, I know what that's like. So for me, when I uh, see what's happening currently with our administration and what's happening in our government, uh, that is highly concerning to me. I was going to say, does it feel a little familiar? It feels PTSD quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, at times when I look at stuff, it's like PTSD mm-hmm. at times for me. Uh, when I when I hear certain things, I'm like, oh my god, uh, are we uh, am I going to be under another dictatorship? Like, do we have to like then escape and try to get go to another country? Like, how does that work? I think it, I think it has uh, has like real deep meaning for me. So for me to even if I did, I'm I'm a I'm a reluctant political comedian in many ways because even though I wanted to talk about more cultural stuff, which I do, uh, I think I have just been pulled into it mainly because look at what's happening. How right. could I how could I not speak on this? How could mm-hmm. I not compare to what I was grew up with? You can only speak to what you know. I can only speak to what I know. And I mean, this is something that's really near and dear to my heart and what's happening. Uh, So, yeah. So that's my... All right. Well, well, we're going to let you get back to your notes and your preparation. Thank you. Thank uh, you very should much. we end it on a dick joke or what? Do you have a good one? Who has a good dick joke? <laughs> not, I just not, saw the gentleman right behind you smile when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, do you have a good dick joke? Do I have a good dick joke? <laughs> All right. Well, anyway. I'll just wait for you on stage to I tell your I would love that. I would love that. Do you guys, uh, can I tell my socials for your fans? Oh, yes. Sure. Oh, yeah. please. Yeah. 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 Uh, you guys can follow me at uh, Mona Shake, S-H-A-I-K-H dot com. You can follow me on Twitter and uh, and uh, Instagram at Mona's Comedy and Facebook is Mona Shake Comedian. I also run an amazing uh, uh, comedy show called uh, Minority Reports. I started that three years ago. I made history by being the first brown person ever to produce an, a successful
successful show at the comedy store. I don't oh. know if you guys know what that is. Of course. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. So I, yeah, so I made history there, and that show's been three years old, and it, it's great. We showcase the most underrepresented comedians that you'll ever see. The comedians that don't get main representation, we give them that platform. Uh, so I'm guessing Louis C.K. is not on that huh? bill. Louis C.K. is not on that bill? Uh, no. <laughs> totally. Yeah, we're not big on uh, white guys jerking off at our shows, so we're not big on that. Yeah. yeah. Good call. Uh, yeah, I don't really know. Well, we'll be is. awaiting our invitation yeah. for uh, our first For the jerk off? Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> All right. Sorry. She said it. I thought we were still in that train of thought. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not that fast. I'm trying to catch up. I'm trying to catch up. We end every episode with a bitch, please. Can you give us a bitch, please? Bitch, please. This is our country, and we're going to run it however the fuck we want. Boom. We're back to you at the Women's March, now speaking with one of the speakers, Natasha Singh. Welcome to Bitch Talk. Thank you Thank so much you. for coming on. So you're an educational consultant. Uh, I, I love the topics that you teach. Can you, can you speak to what, what you teach? Oh, sure. Um, I teach uh, about consent. Uh, I teach uh, young people about sexual ethics, and I teach parents how to talk to kids about sexual ethics. Uh, I teach about sexual assault prevention, uh, porn literacy, media literacy, gender literacy, sexual literacy, anything and everything having to do with um, ending gender-based violence and promoting healthy relationships. Is this only for kids, or can you teach us as well? Oh. <laughs> can you teach adults? Are you teaching adults? I do. Yeah, I you actually, said parents, right? I do. I teach we parents, <laughs> kids, and I work a lot with Bay Area schools and some schools on the East Coast as well. Okay, I'm, I'm real interested in this porn literacy. Can mm -hmm. you elaborate on that? Sure. A lot of young people, um, well, first of all, sex education is so deplorable in this country, and it's very uneven in this country. Non-existent, really. I was going to say, yeah. what do you mean by deplorable? Deplorable. <laughs> oh, um, Just, well, yeah, sure. You know. No, it's a, great, it's a great question. I think that it's very uneven, and, this, and when I mean, what I mean by deplorable is that our sex, sexual health outcomes in this country are among the worst among developing nations. So we mm. have some of the highest rates of teen pregnancy mm -hmm. and highest rates of STIs among teens, and so young people are not getting the education, the sexual education that they need, which I believe is a fundamental human right. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very uneven across this country, which means that when by the time young people become uh, undergraduate students, they're encountering people who've had a very uneven uh, education and in some cases are profoundly ignorant about safe sex and so on. So I think um, uh, that's an important issue to, to address. Yeah, and uh, there was something else in your bio. Oh, and the porn oh, literacy piece. I'm oh, yes, sorry. Yes. So and porn literacy, <laughs> yes. So back and to so, porn, please. So, what, so yes, back to porn. <laughs> and what I... So... You know, a lot of times because the sex education is not great or it's not where it should be, and again, some states are doing better than others, a lot of young people are turning to pornography as a primary source of sex education. And mm -hmm. so pornography won't teach young people about safe sex, about consent, about communication, mm -hmm. um, and all of those kinds of things. Or so, the value of women. Or the value of women. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of violence against women in a lot of mainstream pornography. And mm -hmm. so I really work with young people to um, talk about pornography and to help them become much more about what they're seeing if they choose to be consumers. Wow. I, I love that. Yeah, we uh, uh, here at Bitch Talk, we talk a lot about uh, toxic masculinity. Yes, and that was I another uh, that mindful too. masculinity. Yes. I, I love that yes. term. 
Sure. Um, I, I mean, we all we are hearing a lot about toxic masculinity in our culture, and oftentimes people get really riled up. We're already seeing a backlash even against that Gillette, Gillette ad yeah. that came right yeah. that came out. And so I think it's important to not only critique dominant masculinity, but to provide a meaningful alternative um, for people um, when they're thinking about masculinity. And so mindful masculinity is really a way to uh, coach and, and bring people to a different level of awareness about what it means to be uh, a man and what mass what masculinity means and we try to draw upon really good ethics and values that are rooted in social justice principles. I, I think I really like that phrase because we've come to think of masculine as a negative connotation right. and it's really not. It can be no, beautiful and it, it should be. be embraced. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we need a, an avenue for people who are still kind of defensive about it. We need an alternative and we need to inspire young people. Um, otherwise, they'll just sort of, I know working with boys, people will just shut down. Um, and so it's mm -hmm. about providing some hope and inspiration and a new way of thinking and framing the issues. Mm -hmm. And in this culture right now of, I don't even know where to begin with our culture right now in terms of politics and yeah. mindful masculinity. What are the outcomes that you're seeing right now with the, the males and the boys that you work with? Are they open to this idea of mindful masculinity or the younger ones what do you are encounter? well I'm, I'm finding that uh with young people i think it's so important to have these conversations preemptively and for people to be really proactive so when you when i'm working with younger kids there's a real openness i think for older teens um maybe eighth to tenth grade uh there is a resistance to this kind of a conversation there's a few people who will really rally behind that but i think a lot of kids get really entrenched in the toxic masculinity and they hold on to it as a form of identity and a lot of boys are trying to compete for other boys approval and yeah. it's only yeah. when they get a little bit older I think that they begin um, maybe rethinking these issues um, mm -hmm. I would love them to be rethinking them throughout their middle school and high school experience right. when they're when they're forming when they're their forming identities their key yeah. ideas and creating this sort of template for how to be a, an adult in the world I think too I, I just thought about this I think people think toxic masculinity is only a straight male thing yes but it's also seen in gay male culture do you want to talk a little bit about that well, or have you encountered that as well? Because I know that is a thing. I think toxic ma masculinity can be internalized by women, by gay sure. men, by um, men on the margins. Um, it's not only uh, dominant culture because it's, it's a set of ideologies and biases. And we all know with the recent research on implicit bias that women can internalize some of the most, um, you know, profound biases against themselves as women. Yes. So it's an ideology that most of us, we live in a patriarchal culture, right. so most of us are imbibing this toxic information. Um, and so many of us can replicate these values and ways of being in the world. Um, so yeah, I think in queer culture, um, you certainly have men uh, holding on to certain ideas of power. And I also think it's more complicated because there's so much shaming yeah. of uh, queer men. Yes. And so there can be a propensity to clutch onto that kind of toxic masculinity in order to assert something strong about oneself. So we have to kind of be complicated about how we frame that and think about it. Yeah. Uh, compassion. As how well. did you get to the Women's March, by the way? We haven't oh. even talked about <laughs> We haven't talked about the event today that's happening in San Francisco. Oh. You're going to be on stage. Yeah, I'm speaking on behalf of Center for Domestic Peace. So I do a number, I wear a number of hats that are all, and my work is all interconnected. So one of the hats I wear is I'm 
um, uh, co-chair the board of this amazing organization in Marin County, which is focused on ending domestic violence in Marin County and beyond. And a lot of our work focuses on not only providing um, direct services to people who are affected by um, domestic violence, namely women and children, um, but we so we have shelter, a shelter, a transitional housing, but we also teach men how to unlearn their violence. Um, we have a mankind program, we have a womankind program where we also work with women perpetrators of violence. Um, and so, and then we also train youth to become ambassadors in their high schools to promote healthy relationships. So we're working at prevention alongside crisis management. Um, and so we, so I'm here speaking on behalf of Center for Domestic Peace. Great. And and what do you hope will come of this march and, and of this year in general? What what would you like to see us move towards as a community? Oh, well, I think in terms of d domestic violence and sexual assault prevention, we are currently at risk. This current administration is putting us at risk. It it's may not reauthorize the Violence Against Women Act, which is a landmark act that women fought for and won in 1994. So that is at risk of not being reauthorized, mm -hmm. and therefore our funds could be jeopardized. Um, mm -hmm. And those funds affect tribal communities. They affect the national level, state level policies. So we have to be really careful because we need that funding to do the work that we do on the ground. So I'm hoping that people will feel up lifted and energized um, and to and that they'll also build solidarity with other communities who are facing various forms of oppression and violence we really do need to come together and I know there's been some conversation about fracturing of this movement I think we have to be super wise and mindful mm -hmm. that we don't become fractured but that we really unite and come together and look around and feel moved and inspired by what's afoot because this is a revolution um, and many of us have been waiting a lifetime for this um, mm -hmm. and some of us have lived through it already for mm -hmm. me this is my first one I'm thrilled and so I hope people will take inspiration great well we're asking everyone we end every episode with bitch please so we're asking all of our guests to say bitch please and then what do you want to ask of the universe <laughs> <laughs> um, bitch please let us speak truth to power all of us Rebecca Solnit, welcome to Bitch Talk. I am a big fan and have been wanting you on the show for a very long time. Uh, why are you here at the Women's March in San Francisco today? Short version, they asked me. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy, yeah. Long, long version, I've been a feminist most of my life. Yeah. And I love seeing us flex our power and gather together. And I feel like we're also commemorating the second anniversary of the single biggest protest in American yeah. history. Yeah. That was really the watershed moment of saying we are not defeated. We're not conquered. We're not going to just accept their destructiveness. We're going to stand up. We're going to resist. We're going to organize. We're going to fight. And we did. Yeah. Not perfectly, but... According to my friend L.A. Kaufman, uh, with a level of engagement this country's never seen in small towns and remote places, as well as the usual suspect San Francisco, right, New and York all the big kind cities. of things, well, yeah. and, and all over the world, the whole yeah, world united with yeah. us too, which is was incredible. There used to be a wonderful thing the Guardian would do, saying like, if the whole, the, given that the U.S. dominates the whole world, the whole world, world should vote, and they'd show what elections looked like if we had an electoral oh. college with several thousand votes instead of, yeah, no, and one's clear most of the world, other than the kind of Saudi, mm -hmm. Russian, <laughs> European far right oligarchs, and yeah. a few dictators, etc., is anti-Trump. Yeah. Um, I've been told that you ha you coined the phrase mansplaining. I didn't actually coin the word. I wrote the essay yes. that prompted an anonymous yes. blogger <laughs> who I wish would come forward so I could say her name to coin the word. Do you think it's a her? 
Yes, I do. Okay. I feel very... I can't remember what the evidence is, but everything leans towards it being a woman. Okay. And can you... And why shouldn't woman be the default setting? Right? No, I know. <laughs> I, I just I just don't know. I thought that yeah. you were the person that came I up. did not. That I was wrote, the rumor. I wrote an essay, man, explained things to yes. me in 2008. And within like a week, somebody used the phrase and it started to catch on. And, I, and can now you it's in dozens of languages <laughs> and, you know, the Oxford English Dictionary. And it's kind of awesome because what you can't name and diagnose you you can't resist and so just calling things by their true names and coming up with language to describe new circumstances whether it's intersectionality or transphobia is a you know part of the work we do as activists the work of which is the work of dreaming the possibilities and naming the the things around us naming the thing can you talk yeah. about that essay a little bit in 2008 how uh, it's kind of uh, influenced women and I what was really interesting for me I've been joking for several years that I was going to write an essay called men explain things and it was part kind of an exasperated after another mansplaining moment <laughs> uh, kind of thing and I was sort of joking and then my friend Marina Citrin a remarkable sociologist organizer historian feminist dear friend said you really need to write that essay and so I wrote it the next morning and what was shocking to me is I thought I was going to write a fairly <laughs> scathing but cheerful essay about men explaining things <laughs> and it slid over into the profound subject of what happens when you don't have voice audibility credibility when what you say doesn't have consequences because a lot of the things women say that need to be listened to are he raped me he's trying to kill me he stole my idea he's talking over me he won't let me speak and uh, you know that uh, there might be societies that are actually totally okay with violence against women. Ours pretends not to be, but by rendering women uh, silent and literally incredible, as in lacking in credibility, mm. you know, they allow it to persist. Whether it's R. Kelly or uh, mm. Weinstein or Trump or Kavanaugh. Woody Allen or Kavanaugh. Yeah, and you know, we just had that epic with Kavanaugh of seeing how will we discredit the most credible woman the world or the U.S. sort of legal system has ever seen. And, um, you know, and you see how irrational their sense of men as the sole possessors of rationality, truth, fact, and the right to speak uh, can be. Well, and that's that's what I love about this is why we need writers like you and voices like yours is because it's something that happens to all of us that we just accept like well this is how men treat me but then when you raise a voice and you're like hey I feel this too it, it, it unites us and suddenly we're not alone and that's just the power of words and and why we need voices like yours to help us feel like unified that's what was so interesting about the essay is I had, had no idea what I'd done, but so many women something deep. recognize, <laughs> Very recognize deep. that experience and recognize that experience is fundamental to misogyny, which is about marginalizing and silencing women. And people often think it's only literally shutting somebody up, but it's assuming that she's not competent to speak. And if I assume that you're not competent to speak in your profession, you know, as a biologist or a lawyer or a scholar or a doctor or all these things I've heard, you know, or a mechanic or a plumber or a, 
all these things I've heard from women directly that they've been treated as incompetent and even when it's their profession, then the same system will tell you you're incompetent to speak. You just imagined it happened. It was really your fault. It's day after regret. You're exaggerating. You're hysterical. You're out of control. You're just vindictive, you know, and so the same principles are used and, uh, you know, and making that connection turned out to be something really important. And I kind of learned from the essay as I wrote it, where it's like, wow, this really goes into how they terrorize and murder women who are speaking up and discredit. And, you know, it touched on Anita Hill and, uh, you know, all these things. And also that touches on we're brought up as young women to be quiet and to listen when men speak. And I think that it's just so deep down inside of us. You know, I'm the great aunt of the most wonderfully fiery, almost five-year-old, my great niece, Ella. And when I see little girls in general, kind of in their natural state, girls who haven't been suppressed and taught this is unladylike and ungirlish and they have to wear delicate clothes, they must not get dirty and only boys do that and et cetera. When I see what little girls are really like left to be who they want to be, who they are, who they really are. I realize how much most of us were ashamed, intimidated, harassed, yeah. compressed into these good little mealy mouth, timid with, you know, like you're not going to learn to throw, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so old, I'm pre-title nine. Yeah. You're not going <laughs> to learn to throw and kick and jump and run and, and, uh, you know, this isn't for you. You're going to be the cheering section, not the, you know, not the center fielder. Yeah. And seeing that change has been, I and mean, obviously we're not done yet, but. We still have a, lo- a long way to go, but we're but getting and, there. And we've come a long yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. And we're getting yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. I'm waiting for that women's baseball team. <laughs> Major you League know, Baseball team. I've been thinking about a lot. And I'm going to put into the memoir book that'll be out next year. Oh. Which we'll talk about another time. But is, yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. What was I going to say is the fact that what we call sports is men's sports and that the whole country and in a way the whole world is organized around watching men perform and getting huge amounts of honor and status and money for it. And it's completely normal. There was actually Jeffrey Tubin at the New Yorker, I believe it was, was compl- was bitching about why can't the U.S. produce a successful soccer team? And of course, the women's soccer, the U.S. women's soccer right. team won, right. won, yeah. won, won twice, you know, globally twice. But he's kind of like they don't exist as far as he is. And like, there's, I can't really imagine a culture in which like. Everybody sits around and watches women play baseball, women play basketball, etc. I maybe it'll happen, but we sure haven't seen it. And this, these exclusively male realms of sports, you know, that also include a lot of stories about rape and domestic violence and the commodification of women and the exclusion of women and the silencing of women are also one of the really weird things that's part of our landscape and I love the great women athletes we have around us whether they're rock climbers or tennis players right. but they are not center stage the way that men always have been no, they are not. and and it's why you know they say sports and then they say women's sports right and it's like what if we said sports and men's sports right um, can you talk to us uh, a little bit about what you're gonna uh, talk about on the stage you know the usual hope and power and 
you know, kind of celebrate that the last two years have been so engaged and passionate and creative in getting the work done we need to do, not just to resist Trump, but to resist capitalism and white supremacy and patriarchy and transphobia and anti-Muslim bullshit and uh, anti-immigrant and refugee brutality. And, you know, like, it hasn't been perfect and it hasn't fixed everything and there could be more. But two years ago when we marched, that was the first sign that people weren't just going to say, okay, we're defeated, we're, we're terrified, we're just going to stay home and quiver and, you know, and that we're not going to be passive. Because often in this country, people are really like, oh, somebody should fix that or like somebody should somebody should register voters, somebody should change it, somebody should pass a law. And the fact that so many millions of people were committed to doing it themselves is such a beautiful and exciting thing. And what I hope happens is not only that we get the great woman president we need in two years, not only that, you know, we prevail in all these electoral things, but that people don't stop and don't say that's good enough, that they remain engaged and, uh, and just start to believe engagement is the normal state of being. We often think it's something you do in a crisis in this country, but it's what you should be doing all the time. Yeah. And uh, if you're a citizen, which I don't mean in terms of like your legal status, I mean, you know, it really means like a resident of a city, a person, you if know, you if, you're, if you're here, if you're here, exactly, exactly. If you're a community member, if you have any resources at all, including a voice and five minutes to call or write someone but also to be engaged in being aware of how you use language how you use kindness how you use what you do and don't consume and support and vote for and recognize that everyone has power and all of us are political animals all the time not once a year at an election or a protest but in everything we do and that Radical kindness, mm. radical creativity is part of the project. And you gotta show up. Yep, yeah. yep. Like you, we are today. <laughs> yep, there used to be those contests, you must show up to win, yeah. and that's kind of one of my mottos. Yeah. <laughs> Becca, thank you so much for being on Bitch Talk, and we'll see you next year when your book comes out. What? Uh, that sounds good to me. That was the MC of the SF March, Mona Sheikh. Natasha Singh and Rebecca Solnit, who all took the stage at San Francisco Women's March today. We should also talk about the theme. The theme right. is truth to power. And I feel like we're in a great position in terms of our country, our leadership, to really take the reins and, mm -hmm. and make change for the better this year. Yeah, there's one person I really, really wanted, uh, Representative Barbara Lee from Oakland. Um, who's been very progressive in her whole career. I think she started in the mid to late 90s. Yeah. yeah. And um, I loved what she had to say on the stage. And she uh, talked about all of the women, especially women of color, that were nominated to, um, to Congress uh, last November. So that was awesome. She named every one of them and talked about indigenous, especially indigenous women mm -hmm. um, being elected. So that was really inspiring. I, really I think that the representation this year oh. was so great in, yeah. in terms of uh, colors, creeds. Uh, we had trans rights, Jewish rights, uh, Spanish-speaking Im immigrants. And uh, one thing that was really powerful for me was uh, when the Co Coalition for Homelessness came up. Yes. And a woman who is homeless currently with her daughter 
came up and spoke and she said something really powerful. She said, you have nothing to be ashamed. Uh, being homeless in San Francisco isn't anything to be ashamed of. Their, their lack of action for homelessness is what we should be ashamed of. Right. And I completely agree with that. Yep. We need more resources. Yep. Uh, and that was one of many really powerful moments. Yeah, I'm going to mess up her name right now, but um, Teresa Sigatnu. Oh, God. I want her on Chills. the podcast. Chills. She recited a poem. Yeah. Did she say she wrote it today or something? I don't know Ridiculous about that. Like that. But she recited a poem. Chills the whole time. I recorded it. I'm hoping yeah. the, the audio is good. You, but yeah. it was incredible. She's got to be on Bitch Talk. Like, she could have gone up and that could have been the whole women's march. <laughs> Seriously. And mic drop. Yeah. And <laughs> see. Um, yeah. But I'd love to have her on the show. Just yeah. really powerful, queer... Pacific Islander voice from mm-hmm. but born and raised San Franciscan mm-hmm. so and thank you again to Sophia and Dar yep. for giving us these press passes and giving us the opportunity to speak personally with these powerful women we we are humbled by our opportunities always with bitch talk yeah and uh, it's usually Ange and I like fumbling around <laughs> we're like hey, can we hear you thanks great and then it gets cool because they're like oh bitch talk yeah of course we'll be on there but yeah. um, thank you to the women uh, who actually run the women merch PR also they're the ones who help us out and we thank you and you know we're around all this year and next year for 2020 which I think will be a really electric year uh, for women in politics and women in general so um, yeah I hope you enjoyed this show and um, and I hope you come back because we we don't plan we 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 will never stop giving a voice to marginalized people and to these strong women in, in our in our society yeah And it's going to be a great year. Can't wait. We'll see you on Sundance, everyone. Bitch, please.